Hello cult hackers and welcome to the podcast. I'm Celine, a media graduate of an interest in cults. And I'm Stephen Mather. I'm a organisational psychologist. I was raised in a cult. I happen to be Celine's dad. So today we're going to talk about a topic that I've been writing about and so I've been doing quite a bit of research and thinking about it so we thought it would be a good topic to talk about and then if you're interested in reading a bit more about it you can go to the blog. So we're, we're talking today about what I'm calling a bug in the system. So I think I'm proposing that human beings have a kind of software bug that makes us susceptible to cultic involvement or to being uh, influenced by cults, joining cults and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's my kind of provocation, I suppose. Um, and then, of course, I need to be able to demonstrate that. So that's that's the topic. Um, the provocation is that we are all born with a bit of a software glitch, if you like, mm. um, or like a security weakness in mm-hmm. our operating system. Um, and it's that that cults expose and it's that that they take mm. advantage of. Before we get into the meat, what made you want to go mm. for a computer bug? Like what started you on that? Um, do you know what? I, I actually don't know. Um, as I was writing it, it did occur to me that um, somebody that's been on the podcast before, Daryl, I think Daryl Ray, um, who is an absolute gem. He's brilliant. Um, he's uh, the guy that wrote the God Virus, um, and I suppose I thought, well, am I Nick? Am I sort of stealing his idea? And um, it wasn't conscious. If I was, I didn't do it consciously. <laughs> um, but I'm thinking of it not so much as a as a sort of virus, as a as a real bug, but more as a kind of software glitch. And I feel like there's yeah, bug this... is, is the right term, isn't it? it doesn't have to be yeah. something that's introduced. Uh, bugs bugs can be errors, gaps. Issues. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's a type of software glitch. Um, I mean, I'm so old. I remember very, very well the Millennium bug um, mm. and the, the fears over what might happen at the turn of the Millennium. Um, it was all to do with the way that dates were, were stored in memory. Mm. Instead of four digits, yeah. it was stored as two. A, I watched a YouTube video recently about it, like yeah. talking about the sort of Millennium bug hysteria. Mm. I can't remember. Um, it was quite good, actually, because it showed some of the um, the stuff that was being made at the time um mm. and people that were like you know not letting their kids go out for them for the millennium line things i thought it was all hell was going to break loose yeah i mean it it's quite in, it is very, we shouldn't get too down that rabbit hole because mm. we could get into it but um there is i think it, it's one of those those things that's in the eye of the beholder in some respects mm-hmm. what lessons you learn from it so on the one hand yeah it's like apocalyptic um doom which mm-hmm. we know quite well and the end of the world is coming scare 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 on the other hand it was a, a known fault that mm-hmm. was identified and people didn't quite know what was going to happen when these dates clicked into zero zero because from a technical standpoint that meant that there was no date how mm-hmm. would the systems respond to that um 
And actually what happened is lots of work was done on systems to stop it from happening. So it was a known fault. We worked on it. We stopped it happening. And then, of course, everybody turns around and says, see, there's nothing to worry about. Well, yeah, Mm. because everybody did a lot of work. (laughs) Mm. Um, Whether it would have had the, you know, apocalyptic um, ending if we hadn't have done anything, I I, I can't say. But um, surely we want to be able to identify potential risks, do something about it, and then be able to look back and say, well, I'm glad we did something about that. That actually made a difference. So, yeah, it's interesting. Interesting. Well, 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 shall we? But anyway, we're not talking about no. the Millennium Bug today. Just we're talking about <laughs> the the cult bug, mm-hmm. um, the cultic bug in our system. Let's do it. Start at the beginning. Go. <laughs> so, shall I give you the three um, factors or facets mm-hmm. about human psychology that makes us susceptible to cults? Mm-hmm. So the first one is our attraction to stories, Mm -hmm. the way we respond to stories. Mm -hmm. The second one is our desire to find a tribe. And the third is our tendency to go in for hero worship. So those are the three uh, psychological tendencies that I would suggest most of us, if not all of us to some degree, have that makes us, by our very nature, susceptible to cults. And because we all have these three things, we are all at risk in one way or another. Does he, so you said that these are all working together um, rather than in stages. Is that what you're saying? So they're all, they're not, it's not like yes. one follows by two, follows by three. Correct, yeah. yeah. And they kind of feed on one another. So maybe I should sort of take them step by step. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the the first one is this, our attraction to stories. So one of the things that I think I've become more and more interested in over the years, um, really since leaving Jehovah's Witnesses, I think, is is this this thing around stories and how Mm. attracted and interested we are in stories. So one of the things that, that I think frustrates scientists sometimes and, you know, rational researchers is that you can present a whole case for something with a bunch of um, data with proper statistics that demonstrate that this is going to cause that and that this relates to that. There's a correlation here. There's a correlation there. There's a there's a causal effect here, and you can you can demonstrate with data and sometimes even with experiment um, that there's something here that we need to do or stop doing that's going to have an impact. Um, But people don't really respond to that very well. So in my blog piece that I've been writing, I I used the example of seatbelts in cars. So I'm old enough to remember when in the UK we introduced or they introduced, the the law was introduced, um, that you had to wear seatbelts in the front of a car. They started at the front start with mm-hmm. so you had to wear seatbelts so up until that point um you didn't have to so they were there so but you, they were optional often they were there sometimes they weren't i mean again the laws around making them in the car that came earlier mm-hmm. so in the very early examples there wasn't any seatbelts at all but mm-hmm. um 
by the time they introduced the law, all cars, A, had to have seatbelts, and B, you had to use them in the front of the car, unless they were a very old car. Or you were like in a milk float. We used to have electric milk floats um, that did like five miles an hour or something. Yeah, because um, you're going so slow. <laughs> yeah, that, and you were jumping in and out all the time. Mm. So there were certain exemptions. Milk floats, delivering milk, bottled milk. Um, I think even the post postal service perhaps didn't have to. And when you were reversing, you could take mm. it off. But other than that, you, everybody had to wear them. And um, there was lots of statistics about the importance of wearing seatbelts and why you should wear them and so on and so on. But the really impactful messages came from the TV ads. Mm. So I remember the TV adverts um, and they were very simple. They were interviews, short interviews with people sat in front of the camera just talking about their experience. They often had scars on their face because they are people, they were people that had had a crash and literally flown through the windscreen and their faces were all cut to ribbons mm. by the, the windshield, the glass windscreen. Um, and often they'd say it was always the same story or often the same story. You know, I, I was so close to home. I didn't think it was going to matter. I could actually see my house from where it happened. Mm. Of course, when you're traveling at 30 miles an hour or more and you hit something and you stop dead, the inertia means that you carry on traveling um, at 30 miles an hour. And you, if you don't go through, you're going to smash your face against Mm. something. If you go through the windscreen, obviously that's quite disastrous as well. Mm -hmm. You'll go through it, you get cut and you, you obviously you're in the road then. Um, So these stories of people actually talking about what had happened to them, this happened to me. Um, and they tell about how long it took them to recover and all of that. And it was those stories that were really impactful. And I still remember some of them today. Um, and this is 40 years later. It was about 40 years ago. Yeah, um, they still do those sorts of things, don't they? There was, that's I remember, right. There was a lot that were quite, quite disturbing because a lot of them are around car safety that I remember. Yeah. But the other one was around... Um, driving at 30 in residential areas because it yeah. can save like a child's life if you you know you your stopping time is better and um or if you do hit someone they wait they're like much like more likely to survive aren't they at 30 um yeah absolutely and there was lots and of it's, stories about that it's um, the stories yeah so you can tell people the facts but it's the stories that really make the difference so um I think that's uh, you know we, we see loads and loads of examples an anecdote seems to be much more powerful than a whole bunch, you know, a, a paper full of statistics and details and so on and so on. Tell a good story, and that's what really affects people. Either way, you know. Mm, I mean, I just thought as well, sometimes, you know, when people get frustrated, actually, um, this might help with understanding that. When people get frustrated when, you know, maybe you say, um, you know, people say to to men around the Me Too movement. Imagine if it was your daughter, your sister, da, da, da. But I suppose it's making it that story impact rather mm. than a statistical one because there's a lot of statistics Absolutely. around, um, you yeah. know, workplace misconduct or all the, all the stuff around the Me Too movement. There's a lot of stats yeah. on that, but I think imagining it in, in your head as a story. Absolutely. Absolutely. And um, the more real you can make it, the more impactful it is. So, yeah, um, if it's happened to somebody that you know or love, then... Mm. That's even more powerful because obviously the, the story is closer to home, which relates to another one of the factors that I'll talk about in a minute. Um, 
but yeah, so stories are so deeply embedded in our culture. It's mm-hmm. it's what we've used for thousands and thousands of years to make sense of the world. You know, so in my head, I've got this picture of ancient human beings sat around a fire telling stories, you know, mm-hmm. and talking about this happened to me and this happened to him. And and then there's fictional stories, you know, uh, from which comes a lot of the myths and legends and ancient tales that we still have today. These stories have come down to us for th- from thousands of years ago and they give us mm-hmm. a, a a sense of understanding the world. It's It's something like a statistical model or a an experiment that you can draw correlations from cause and effect that these are very new ways of thinking we are not wired to really go with that we are wired to listen to a story mm-hmm. to think about the story to think about how it might affect us and then we use that as a way to make sense of the world um and so we're we're I don't like the term, it's not very scientific, but we are kind of hardwired for stories. We are primed for them. And if you think about um, the cultures in the world, they all have stories and often they're similar stories. You know, they, there's always stories about heroes, which we'll get to. There's stories about um, struggles and um, tragedy and overcoming these tragedies there's often like an origin story um even in business you'll there'll be an origin story of the business mm. you know this 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 person invented computer software in their garage you know the, mm. the whole bill gates um steve jobs thing they did this in their garage and then then they did this and then they did that or it's the they sold stuff out the back of their car you know then next thing you know they've got a department store Mm-hmm. these these stories are just so powerful so even organizations um have stories origin stories good times bad times yeah. you know i think the thing that i want to pick on just in case i forget is that um i think stories are important and we don't want to say that we're saying that like stories are in themselves a bad thing because they're bugged no. they're bugged you know what i mean because i think they they are really important and they help with um you know, feeling part of a team at work. Like, it's not saying that at work it's bad for businesses to use that because no. it does help, you know, feeling mm. part of the team, part of the story involved and, you know, or using it to good benefit, like you said, with the seatbelts or with um, driving at safe, safer speed limits. Um, you know, um, some of the stories around, like, you know, protections for people with, around drink safely, like the Frank adverts, things like that, you know, it does have benefits. Um, and it can really help in movements. You know, I think, I mean, our, our whole podcast is listening bi-weekly to people's stories. Absolutely. So yeah. I think, you know, there's a massive benefit. Um, I think I'm just going to sort of throw this out there and you tell me because you've done more research, but I think when it becomes dangerous or worrying, um, or maybe you might be looking at a hijacking issue, <laughs> um, like cultiness, is when it doesn't go further than the story. Because at least if you get hooked in with the story, then you can go into the data or you can look at the research, go further. You know that it's all part of a greater whole. Whereas things like immediately my brain went to Holmes with the Theranos um, scandal. Uh, Elizabeth Holmes. Oh, God. Yeah. Oh, no. 
that's what I work with. <laughs> Cut that out. You can bleep it if you want, and then. <laughs> right, okay, um, that'd be good. Yeah, yeah. So just bleep the full thing out. Um, yeah. yeah. So uh, Elizabeth Holmes with the Theranos scandal. She had great stories. You know, mm. the stories were great. Yeah. The origin story was great. The story of the brand was great, and what mm. it was going to do was great. You know, that whole all of the stories brilliant but it didn't have anything to back it up so i think that's when you can sort of see see the the issues um i don't know if that leads into anything you've been thinking about oh absolutely i mean that that is so so first of all i just want to completely agree and and absolutely you know very very underline that in a very Mm -hmm. very bold way that i'm not trying to say that that we should all stop using stories to explain things and to make sense of things because we can't, we shouldn't. And they are beautiful. I mean, mm-hmm. stories are the most beautiful piece of art. You know, we, mm-hmm. um, we, we have stories on tap. Now you go to Netflix yeah, and you look at all your stories. All art, every piece of art. Uh, absolutely. If it's a painting, it tells a story. If it's a song, yes. if it's a film, it's telling a story. It's just doing it in different ways. They're all mediums, but creative it's work is absolutely. storytelling. It's very much who we are, you know. So without stories, we are nothing, I think, mm-hmm. as human beings. We are just machines. Stories um, are what makes us human. So no, I'm not trying to say that stories are a bad thing in any way. In fact, none of these things are bad in themselves. What happens is they are, um, it's almost like because of, of our nature um, that we've developed over thousands and thousands of years of evolution, we we have these tendencies that can then be exploited. Mm. So just like the um, the recording of the date of 00, zero in, in the year 2000, because of just because we didn't think of that or it wasn't considered important when there was only two digits in the year mm. element of the date, it, that was fine when it was you know, 78 or mm-hmm. 80 or 90 or 99. But then at some point it starts to become a bug. So it wasn't a bug at the start. Then it becomes a bug because mm. of the situations change. And so, yeah, in other words, it can be exploited or circumstances mean that there's something that it, it creates a problem for us later. And absolutely, again, I totally agree with you. In fact, it is a core part of this model this theory if you like that this is how cults operate this is how cult leaders operate cult leaders are nearly always in fact i would say always great storytellers at least the the beginnings of the cult are they might hand over to some um kind of boring um faceless individual who's an administrator after that but in the early days if you think about all the cults that we've talked about they're always started by somebody who's a great storyteller um so cults and stories you know they use these stories very very well um there's often a a um, origin story of the cult or the cult leader and so on and so on and so on. So it is very much related to that. So yeah, stories, our our love of stories, our attraction to stories, the, the way that we make sense of the world through stories means that um, we are susceptible to a great storyteller. Mm-hmm. 
we're a sucker for a great story basically and so that's that's the first of the these uh, the bug if you like the the, the software bug um okay the second one is finding a tribe i think we all agree that human beings are social creatures and there's lots of good reasons for that obviously we as mammals particularly tend to have groups or we we uh we live in groups not always but but generally so and there's lots of advantages in that you know you you're protected you can protect each other you can um mating is easier because you've got available mates um sometimes you look after each other's young um and so yeah you look at mammals including humans and we are social creatures and human beings feel psychologically safe when we are feeling that we are belonging if you remember back to the abc of conspiracy theories i mentioned that um, or why we're attracted to them i mentioned that the belonging bit is very important and so yeah we want to belong we want to be part of of this Mm -hmm. uh, of this community of this greater community something greater something bigger but this also links into this story bit because of course stories reinforce this sense of community there's a shared history there's common values we've got this destiny that we can achieve together we support each other we tell stories about each other so stories relates to this this too but the communal element the fact that we want to be part of a tribe is so strong that we will forgive our tribe or members of our tribe all sorts of terrible things and we'll defend our tribe even when deep down we know they've done wrong you know there's lots of stories around one person going and doing something terrible and then the whole tribe having to defend them this is a very common trope Mm. even in the bible there's a story about that so we'll defend our tribe even though what they're doing maybe as an individual we don't like but we'll defend them anyway because they're part of our tribe again this is a very very powerful natural instinct we want to be part of a tribe we want to feel the protection of the tribe we're willing to allow the tribe to do things that we're a bit icky about but we'll we'll accept it anyway and we'll justify actions of the tribe because they are our tribe Mm -hmm. so you know that that becomes this important social group and cults nearly always involve joining the tribe joining the new community joining this wonderful place these happy shiny people these people that are there for us and it doesn't take as long to start to feel that sense of safety and that they've got our back um, and we've got theirs and it's the us and them factor then that starts to kick in we've talked about Tajfell before around um, our tendency to have in groups and out groups this is just another way of describing this tribal nature that we have thank you for listening to cult hackers an indie podcast that means we're not part of a big media organization with huge advertising budgets and massive reach so just by listening to this you're supporting the little guy the hardest thing for us is not content we love recording episodes and talking to amazing and interesting people now by far the hardest thing is getting in front of the potential millions of listeners out there with millions of podcasts scrambling for attention and here's where you can help 
simply by telling people about the podcast. Just telling somebody about it can really help. You can share an episode on social media or private messaging using your app, or on some apps you can leave a rating, better still, say a few words. So please help us get cult hackers in front of more people. And now back to the podcast. So obviously we talked very positively about why stories are important. Um, Obviously with, you know, tribal mentality. um, You sort of mentioned why historically it was important. Would you say that sort of having a, having a tribe is still important today and now yeah i i do think it is still very important i mean the word tribe perhaps carries with it some um baggage Mm -hmm. the first time i heard that used in this way actually it goes back um to seth godin so this is going back sort of 10 15 years Mm -hmm. um i remember watching a ted talk so this was just at the beginning of TED Talks and I was yeah. I was listening to him and he talked about the thing for the future. He said, our tribes, mm-hmm. it's all about tribes. Um, and he was so right. You know, mm-hmm. uh, this was way before we sort of um, saw all the tribal stuff, I suppose. But, mm-hmm. you know, wh- whatever the tribe is, it's sometimes it's about the, the music you like or the football team you're into or uh, what you like to do for leisure um of course sometimes it's religion sometimes it's uh, your ethnicity whatever whatever it is um yeah. there is I mean, a, a need to feel part of something things, like yeah being a minimalist that's not necessarily mm. um you know it's i guess it's just those tags that you put you know in, in a bio it says what are some things about you some ists and yeah. some isms that's right yeah ists and isms <laughs> That's right. So, so yeah, it's um, it's very important. I, I, I guess um, that the, the nature of tribes has changed now. So it used to be that your tribe always was close geographically, you know, so there would be people that lived mm-hmm. next to you essentially. But now because of our communication, the internet and, and social media and so on, our tribe can be scattered throughout the whole planet. And yeah. I think that is how new tribes are developing it's, it's very nice but also i think sad in some ways like in that i do wish my friends were all nearby and i could invite them mm. around anytime <laughs> mm-hmm. but it's you know orchestrating multiple people from different parts of the uk into a house for a weekend <laughs> you know yeah um, yeah but, you know we, you make it work like you say Tri- tribal doesn't mean to be next door anymore it used to um, clearly before we had all these communication devices, but but now it's um, yeah. I, I feel like you know the um, I suppose the ex communities, uh, you know, ex Jehovah's Witnesses, ex Mormons, um, ex fundamentalists, and so on. You, you you start to develop new groupings and new groups that you associate mm-hmm. with, uh, and and then they'll they'll split off a bit more because not everybody sees things the same way. So you'll you'll have this this um in some respects factionalization but mm-hmm. ultimately what's happening is is you're finding your tribe yeah um and again in itself there's nothing wrong with that it's normal to want to feel um close to others it's to be part of something that's is absolutely fundamental we shouldn't try to stop it because we can't mm-hmm. <laughs> we can't the vast majority of us need 
each other and we feel safety and security in a tribe it's as old as um you know human beings have been around yeah identity needs it as well absolutely it becomes part of your identity too yeah Mm -hmm. so that's the the second factor yeah i suppose just the little flip side before we go on is just um you know, I think the only time when maybe again you might want to be like, oh, you know, because what I was saying, it's positive, but you might want to be wary. Might just be if you feel that not having that as part of your identity would be like, you know, would would ruin your life. Do you know what I mean? Like, um, how impactful it would be. And I think it's not to say that if you're like, no, I absolutely need to carry on doing X, Y, Z. You know, if you are religious, that matters a lot to you. It's not always a cult, but you know, or if you know you give up meat and you don't obviously you don't want to go back on your morals for that but you know there's certain times where you might be able to see it taking on a cultic shape if you just consider how attached am I to this and how how impactful would it be if I wanted to leave would I be able to leave this tribe this group absolutely and and the 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 extra factor is is the one that I'm going to come to now because it's here where things start to um, I suppose take mm-hmm. shape. So I, I've in in my blog I've described what we've got so far as like the fertile mm-hmm. ground for the hero. So we've got um, a tendency for us to be really attracted to, to great stories, um, and we've got this need to be part of a tribe or a group. So that the third element now is is the hero. So step forward, the mm-hmm. hero. Um, and if we think about stories, there's nearly always a, a hero at the center of the story. And the heroes, it's the hero's journey that we we really care about. It's the the hero that sets the standards of behavior that we want to be mm-hmm. like. Um, it's the hero that we all cohere around that becomes kind of the central mm-hmm. point. Um, the fact that they are as they are means we want to be near them. We want to be close to them and we want them to like us. Um, we get a feeling of safety and security when they they show us attention, you know. And so they're wrapped up then in this sense of belonging. Of course, there's also lots of stories about the hero. And as we've already said, the origin story. And it, it means that they start to take on this this other character that um is is better than the rest of us mm. really so i've i was thinking about how how you could then start to look at this from the other perspective because i think so far we've talked about it from um the ordinary person's perspective but i want to now just think about it from the hero's perspective themselves if you were to say okay i'm a budding hero what do i need to do in order to benefit from these conditions mm. I find myself in, then I think the answer to that question is charisma. Mm. So the the way that the hero can exploit or can take advantage of these psychological tendencies, these traits, is by using charisma. Um, and it's through that charismatic character that the person then the hero can get people to to do the things that we know happen in cults and and in other sort of abusive situations yeah with with the charismatic lead so you're saying 
it's kind of um would you say that's something that's a cho- uh, a chosen thing like they choose to try and put on a charismatic personality or are they they kind of naturally charismatic not, people that then, yeah i think you know, probably not you know. yeah not necessarily in fact i think most of the time it's just a a kind of unconscious set of mm. behaviors and characteristics that that people have um sure i think some people do exploit that and i'm sure there are some that um you know sit in the darkened room and uh, think about right how do i how do mm. i do this to exploit people i'm sure that does happen sometimes with these documentaries and things like this it comes across as there's like a mastermind that has a room mm. with plans and blueprints and red string um and I think generally these people are awful, these cult leaders, and they need to be punished, obviously, for the crimes that they commit. Um, but I suppose it it almost still follows through this hero narrative that they're so clever and smart and amazing when actually they're, yeah. you know, maybe some of them are smart. But, you know, you think with the Nixium leader, he was, you know, touting mm. himself to be a genius, you know, with all these talents and like you say, elevating himself to be this heroic figure. Um, and then in some ways, all that you do is you sort of flip them into a supervillain and they maintain yes. this certain level above ordinary mm. people. But yeah. all that has happened yeah. is they're just, they're still just ordinary people. They're just taking advantage of pre-existing situations. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, they're they're taking advantage of, the fact they're great mm-hmm. storytellers, they can tell a great story. Um, they are taking advantage of the fact that they have created a community of sorts, or they they encourage people to be part of a community. And again, that this is exploiting this natural tendency that we have. Um, so yeah, I, I want to focus on charisma a little bit. We have talked about it a bit on the podcast, and I don't really apologise for that because I think it's. God, I sounded like the governing body there. We don't apologize for it. Um, but I, I don't think it's anything to be ashamed of because I think charisma is such an important mm. element. I've spoken before about how in my old group, Jehovah's Witnesses, the governing body are about as charismatic as a you know a piece of coal. Oh, wet rag. Um <laughs> wet yeah. rag, exactly. Um but I think that's partly because you know they they are the administrators that have come after the charismatic character i don't know much about russell and rutherford but um i think they they were probably quite charismatic in their own way and i also think that within congregations you've often got a charismatic head of the congregation if you like or a couple of elders who carry that role so yeah i think that there there are charismatic characters but the actual governing body are not but yeah, nearly all these groups have this this person. So let's um, let's just talk about charisma. So it's a bit of a um, contested term in psychology. Um, it's an area that I've studied a fair bit. Um, I talk about it on my management training courses because um, charismatic and transformational leadership, which is kind of the umbrella over which charismatic sits. Um, is in many respects seen as quite admirable, mm-hmm. you know. So this is somebody that um, aligns the team goals with 
the individual's identity and their own goals. You know, so if as a team I can I can align the team goals to what people really care about. Um, you know, so essentially you're 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 achieving the team goals by also achieving your own goals or it's matched your values, what you think is important, and that's great. So people tend to like that. And when leaders are doing that, they they respond well to that. So that's generally considered a good thing. Um there's an element of um risk taking by the leader. So, you know, I'm gonna put myself out mm-hmm. there. So charismatic people put themselves out there, maybe physically and metaphorically, you know, so they'll stand up and they'll make a stand. This is a kind of courageous looking hero. This is the the person who takes the risk mm-hmm. first and then others will follow. You know, and again, there's nothing wrong in that. In fact, there's nothing wrong in charisma per se, just like there's nothing wrong in loving stories and uh, wanting to belong. So the, the the charismatic person isn't a bad person because they're mm-hmm. charismatic. Um, the cult leader is bad because they're using that charisma to get what they want from people and they're not in their mm-hmm. interests. Use of manipulation. Um, exactly, but but to their mm. own ends, not in, not in the service of the individual themselves, but to their mm. own benefit. So they get the cult leader gets rich. the The people who follow them live in poverty. Um, the cult leader is sexually satisfied, but the followers have to service mm-hmm. him. Um, you know, in the case of some groups. And so on. I won't go through all the different examples, but that's the point. The the leader is using those skills to get what they want at the expense of their followers. Um, there's also the uh, there's also theories around the idea that the charismatic leader is helping the individual or making them believe. Again, if it's ethical, then this belief will be true. If it's unethical, then this would be an abuse of this power. But they help the follower to believe that by being part of this thing, they are going to achieve some personal psychological needs or those will be fulfilled. So we've talked about this before, but the need for self-esteem, the need to feel that we are competent, that we have agency that we can achieve things these are natural psychological needs and if the cult leader is able to convince you that by doing this thing you'll be able to have more feelings of competence more feelings of self-esteem more feelings of achievement then obviously again they can get you to do things if those things are in the individual's own interest then that's fine but if they're not if they're in the interest of the cult leader and to the expense of the the follower, then that's when it's unethical. That's a cult. Um, so that's kind of uh, did I am I explaining yeah. that well yeah. or well enough? Um, and the other the other way of thinking about charisma is John Antonakis, his uh, assessment. He's kind of the n- not newest, but he's one of the newest researchers. He's actually kind of changed the way he does his research. Um, and he's used an experimental model where he's actually saying charisma is primarily about signaling. It's about communication and signaling to others that, you know what, I'm such a confident, brilliant person 
that again i can take some risks so if you see like a really exciting um inspirational speech or lecture or um talk that great speaker will be doing some fairly risky things you know so they'll be telling jokes telling jokes is quite risky because you never know for sure if people are going to laugh um they sometimes talk about their own weaknesses this is quite risky because people might think you're not very good but a, a charismatic person is willing to expose potential weaknesses um they're very animated they put themselves out there the person that is worried about looking stupid or feeling foolish they're the ones who stand there with their hands by them side their sides and just mumble something because they're so self-conscious the charismatic person they're all over the place you know it's, they're talking loudly they may be singing they may be moving around the stage this is charisma they are confident they believe in themselves and it's that that they're signaling to their mm. followers so you only need to think about a charismatic preacher as a great example of that um, so these are all different facets of charisma and what I'm saying is that um, a charismatic leader who uses those techniques to appeal to these inherited and inherent traits, the fact that we love stories, the fact that we want to belong, and the fact that we're always ready to find a hero, they exploit that weakness just like a an unethical hacker sitting in their bedroom is thinking about how can I hack this, um, this firewall to get into the system. Mm -hmm. Essentially that's what they're doing. They're hacking our operating system to get us to join whatever group it is. Um, and that's, that's how cults operate. That's the bug. So, yes, it's a bug, but it's really about the exploitation of that by these unscrupulous mm -hmm. people. So, I suppose now we understand that, um, you promised some solutions. <laughs> right, yeah. So, before I before I go there, I'm going to get maybe a teensy-weensy bit controversial because I've been thinking about whether there are more cults now than there were or whether we live in a culty world or whether it's just that we're noticing mm -hmm. it more. And it could even be down to the fact that we, you and me are talking about it a lot. And so you notice things that you are talking about that itself is a psychological thing. It has mm -hmm. a name. It's called the Bider Meinhof effect, which we'll talk about another mm -hmm. day. But if you talk about cults a lot, you'll notice them a lot. So is that all that's happening or is there something else happening? I gave this a lot of thought and I can't give you any statistics for it. I don't know how you'd research mm. that. But I do think we live in a, in a world that has become more dangerous around this sort of cultic exploitation. That doesn't mean that I think everything I don't like is mm -hmm. a cult, but I think that the way that we have this polarized world um, and this knowing who your tribe is, knowing who, who your side is, I do feel that that is quite dangerous and that's turning us into 
it's doing the same things. Let's put it that way. So if I if I look at um, a Trump rally, you know, those people really do look like they see him as a hero. There's all sorts of artwork around Trump and the fact that he's this and he's this and he's this. If you were to say to any of those individuals, what about what he did here or there? They would have none of it. Mm-hmm. Um, recently, Elon Musk um, has been, uh, well, behaving quite strangely, mm-hmm. really. And he's said some very odd things about his platform and to his potential advertisers, his customers. Um, and yet, if you criticize him, you'll get jumped on all over by a bunch of Elon Musk supporters mm-hmm. who see him as a hero. You know, he is again a hero. But then you could look at the left and you could say, what about, you know, how easy is it for people who loved Obama, for instance, to say, really didn't like this that he did here. This was completely wrong, this thing he did here. And there's plenty of that to go around if you actually look at some of the things that the Obama government did or didn't do. Um, In the UK, there's Jeremy Corbyn, again, sort of a hero of the left, former Labour leader. So for me, you you said, right, okay, what what can we, what are the answers? I think, yeah, how do we bolster us? So I think first thing we need to to do is be aware. So the the fix, the patch that we need to put onto this, onto our operating system is, I believe, and I've been thinking about this a lot about myself, is to think about, right, am I willing to, you know, first of all, I need to acknowledge that I have this tendency, like we all do, to be attracted to stories, great stories. And I, you know, I love a great story and I want to hear more stories. I also want to belong to a tribe and I worry about not being part of that tribe anymore because where would you go? Mm. This is the fear of all cult members. You know, if you get kicked out of your tribe, what? where are you? You're in the wilderness then. You're, you're outside of that. So we have this tendency. We also have the tendency to want to find heroic figures you know this the i love this guy i love this person they're brilliant look at how wonderful they are and um, so i have these tendencies so i need to be clear about that i need to acknowledge that i want to know that i recognize that i have those mm-hmm. traits like everybody else does um and i think it's okay to have of course it's okay to have heroes it's okay to have people you admire it's okay to um, recognize that the, the qualities in other people. But I do think it's important to be able to recognize that no one is, is worthy of our adulation to that nth degree, you know. And, and what I've said at the end of my blog is that if you think about somebody that you really admire, can you think about something about them that they've done or something that they do that you don't like Mm. or an opinion you really disagree with something that you really don't agree with about reverse empathy (laughs) yeah and if you can't think of a single thing then i think that's i mean it could just be that you don't know them that Mm. well but i think for most people if we've got that in if we've got that commitment to them 
and we can't think of anything that they've ever done that we disagree with or that we're willing to admit to somebody else, then that's kind of what I'm talking about here. At that point, you might say, hmm, maybe, maybe that's that's kind of it. Um, so I think that's the protection. It's the willingness to admit, not when we're wrong, but when our heroes are wrong, when the things they've done that we don't agree with or the bits of the belief system or the um, the way of thinking that we don't accept. And that is the difference between a if you go to a church and you say, well, I, I like going because I, I like this and I like that, but I don't really agree what they say about that. That's a normal church. That's a normal religion. If you go to a place of worship where you have to accept everything without question, is it a cult? It's pretty much a cult. So again, it's about sort of recognizing that and being willing to, to see the, the bits that we don't like the flaws. So that's, um, that's my thinking around, around that. To be fair, that was quite well done, wasn't it? That's probably because you wrote a blog about it. You, you knew where you were going, didn't you? <laughs> you had a plan, man with a plan. Yeah, um, yeah. So, if you're as a listener, if you're if you think that's kind of interesting, you want to read about it, then the blog is on Medium. I'll put the link to it. I have sort of had it in front of me as we've spoken, so I've used it as a bit of a prompt. So, some of what I've said there will be directly in there. And there's other things that I've talked about. Um, if you disagree with that, then of course brilliant (laughs) if you totally disagree with everything i've said then that's absolutely brilliant you know and i I do think there is something here also about um uh, people that talk about this stuff also need to be willing to be shown to be Mm -hmm. wrong um and sometimes that also becomes quite difficult you know we have seen cases in in the ex communities where People have have become lauded and they themselves then almost become that sort of person that we've just described. Mm. Um, So, yeah, and it's such a tendency, you know, we just want to, we want to say, oh, they're great, they're wonderful, they're the person I'm with. Um, In my last uh, podcast that I did with Spencer, um, I talked about Christopher Hitchens. So Christopher Hitchens is a guy that a lot of the people that leave religions um especially fundamentalist religions and if they happen to be like me uh, atheists or agnostics then they gravitate towards people like christopher hitchens um he he's dead now obviously but he was a great orator he was a great debater um very eloquent and had loads of great qualities but he was also a bit of an asshole at times to be quite honest with you and and i think it's okay to say that you know we we shouldn't be just looking at these people as though they are uh, again the heroes that that mm-hmm. we want to to sit at the feet of so that that's for me that's that's the message that i want to want to sort of get across mm-hmm. there and that goes for any of us just basically mindful <laughs> Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, okay, cool. Um, before we go, Celine, we said we wanted to just quickly read out some of the mm-hmm. uh, the, the feedback we've had about the podcast because we, we go on about it every week. Please 
give us a review and uh, talk about how what you thought about the podcast and so on, especially on Apple Podcasts. So these are reviews on Apple Podcasts. Okay, so we've got our first one, which is from the UK from O. Jackson Writer. Um, good, good breadth of info and insight. Really enjoyed the variety of material here. Gives a good rounded perspective on the com on the commonalities of cults and high control groups. Great. Thank you very much, O. Jackson Writer. Um, next one is from the US. And actually, this is somebody that we know. So I recognize the name there, Sinane Shea. So Sinane, one of our recent guests. Um, and she says, interesting, informative, and important. Really important conversations and insights that are easy to understand and apply to real life. Thank you. Okay. And then we've got one from Australia, from Joe Ads. Oh, no, from Joe a to Z. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. A must listen for any cult survivor. Thank you, Stephen and Celine. Such a great podcast has helped me make sense of my own journey and acknowledge the trauma I experienced being born into a high control religion and leaving it in my early 20s. Brilliant content and approach. Thank you very much. Thank you. That's lovely. Um, the next one is also from Australia. And this is from Captain Mapcraft great name um a great podcast exclamation mark i really enjoy this pod it asks the questions i often have and sometimes don't realize i should be asking i love Stephen's organizational lens he holds brilliant thank you very much captain mm-hmm. mapcraft that's i really appreciate that cool and um got- and yeah from canada i should say this one is a bit older but it is um, I don't think we've read this one out. So this this is actually from 2022. Um, but I wanted to to highlight that one from Canada. So this is Hard Rock Nash. And this is, happy birthday. I love your podcast. I listen to you guys while working and always enjoy the chats. Wish I could chime in sometimes. Keep it up. Entertaining, informative and heartfelt. Thank you very much, Hard Rock Nash. Um, I don't think we've read that one out before. If we have, well, there you go. Um, I think that's, I don't know for sure, but I, that name um, sounds very much like somebody who is an ex-JW who has their own YouTube channel. So I could be wrong, so I don't want to say it, but I think that's them. So thank you. That's always lovely when you get a bit of feedback like that from somebody else that's doing some stuff. Um, okay yeah so thank you very much for all of that and um, there you go you know if you if you write a review on Apple Podcasts we'll, we'll read it out it's so nice to get them and it's lovely to read and it them does out. help get the podcast uh, around to more people yeah it's one of those things you know the algorithm um, the more interaction you get on these things the more uh, listens it puts in front of more people and to be honest with Apple um, and Spotify the ratings um are and the comments on apple are the only bits of interaction you can get Mm -hmm. through those platforms so that is so important thank you and yeah if you've not done that already please do um we really appreciate it um and the, the last thing i wanted to just say very briefly before we wrap up for today is i i've kind of not made a massive thing of it because i don't know quite how to do it but um if you if you remember about two years ago we spoke to a great guy. He's called Jared Scott. He's an ex-Jehovah's Witness from the States. 
Um, and I got in touch with him fairly recently and we've actually started a new podcast. Now it has nothing to do with Jehovah's Witnesses really. Um, both Jared and I work in a very similar business. We both work in leadership and management training in manufacturing. So we're kind of coming from the same place in that respect. And, and we thought, well, let's do a podcast about leadership and management. So we have created a new podcast called Challenging Leadership. So don't expect any JW mm-hmm. or XJW or any X-Cult or Cult stuff in there, really. Um, of course, we, we are talking about some of the similar or some similar concepts and ideas. And who knows, at some point, we might sort of delve into that stuff. But it's really more about leadership within the workplace. Um, so we have that on the platforms, the app platforms. But we've also got it on our YouTube channel. So if you want to see us on the YouTube channel, Jared and me, the next one coming up. So we've talked about various different things. We have talked about charisma, interestingly enough. We've also talked about making mistakes as leaders and managers. Um, but the next one coming up is all about leaders and managers in science fiction films and TV, particularly Star Trek. So if you're into Star Trek, um, then that would be a good one to to check out. So, yeah, I thought I'd just mention it. If you're interested, um, the link will be in the show notes. So I reckon that's it, Celine. Yeah, I think that was very efficient. We're at one, one hour, one minute. I think that is very good. <laughs> Let's. Is that a wrap? It's a wrap. I sir, it's, it's time a for a, me to go get a bagel. <laughs> You're going to get better. I'm going to get some chili, chili nights. Lovely, very good, very good, very good. All right. Well, thank you very much for listening, everybody. Really appreciate it. And um, see you again next time. Bye. Bye.